0: empower and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome to our wonderful listeners back to the show. In this episode, we will be exploring breastfeeding, tips to optimize breastfeeding, and what to expect when you see a lactation consultant. My guest today is Anita Arora. Welcome to the show.
1: Much thanks for having me here today.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to explore this uh topic more in depth because I know a lot of my clients are first-time moms and may or may not be getting breastfeeding information prior to and probably have questions about like, you know, is this normal? Is this not normal? So I'm I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
1: Absolutely, that's great.
0: I guess my first question would be, what made you decide to become a lactation consultant?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and people often ask me that. Um, Really, it was probably based on my own experience. I was one of those first time mothers who just thought, you know what, baby comes, you put baby to the breast and off you go. And that was not my experience at all. Um, I ended up having a C-section, which was not planned. And then my son would not latch. Um, I had to start pumping. My husband was feeding the baby with a tube on his finger. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) I did not sign up for this. Um, And then I had a lot of help. From a lactation consultant who kind of inspired me um, at that point just to kind of help other mothers. So I kind of went into it as a peer to peer support person um, and I started getting involved in um, the um, Breastfeeding Connection. It's the Halton Breastfeeding Connection, it's a local peer to peer support group. Uh, And from that, I just really, it really piqued my interest. And so I decided to take a few courses on that. And when I took my course, uh, my instructor actually reached out to me to say, like, I can really notice the passion, even in your assignments and your papers. And have you ever considered actually making this a career? And I was like, what? Okay, yeah. Uh, And so that's where I kind of headed off. And I just realized this was definitely my calling and my passion. And I love it. But um, really just based on my own experience.
0: As often is the case uh, with a lot of uh, you know different professionals that I speak with, it usually comes from some sort of personal experience that then really like it wasn't a planned thing.
1: Absolutely not. I mean, I come from, I have an MBA and I come from the business world. So it was totally uh, a total career change, but uh, I knew always when I was in my previous career, it just wasn't fulfilling. It was kind of a job, right? You went, you did your job, you came home. Um, and now, you know, when you find something you love, it doesn't feel like work. So.
0: Absolutely. So I have a question. Um, because i mean i'm thinking my assumption was similar to yours like babies born yeah just put them on the boob and they just go and know what you know it's like i i just assume it's like a built-in process right um but what i guess my my situation was was unique which i'll mention in a moment but does breastfeeding hurt for all women when they first start
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And it's actually something um, I do teach prenatal breastfeeding classes. And one of the things I tell people is, if you don't take anything else away from this course, please take away that breastfeeding should not hurt. Uh, Now, that being said, it absolutely can feel a little uncomfortable. There can be some slight discomfort. Um, obviously, nobody is used to having that sensation on their nipples all the time and a baby at the breast all the time. Uh, but I tell people, like, if your toes are curling every single time you're feeding, uh, if you're uh, dreading every feed uh, if your nipples are cracked and bleeding, those are all red flags. That should not be happening. And that is when I say, please seek assistance, because something is going on and we can make it better. Um, and you really shouldn't have to live through that. But unfortunately, it's a little bit of a myth and people are kind of still told that like, oh, it's normal for it to hurt. And or your nipples have to toughen up. Um, even I hear people say, oh, my mother told me my I have to toughen up my nipples during pregnancy to get ready for breastfeeding. Uh, and that's very much a myth so um discomfort normal pain no
0: gotcha okay yeah i mean so you know my i i did a prenatal course with a with a doula and i remember her uh, and i remember this very very distinctly she said don't wait to get a lactation consultant get one whether it hurts or doesn't hurt because there's always ways to optimize and i was just like
1: "Mm,
0: you know I didn't necessarily think about it. So four days, yeah. By the fourth day in, I was like, I don't, like, I don't know if I can keep going like this. And uh, that's what led me to you, which led me to discover that uh, my daughter had a tongue tie, which was very. It was mentioned in the hospital by the lactation consultant, like kind of like in passing, like, "Oh, your daughter has a tongue tie. You should just try to do this, this, and this." Like no, I like, I got no education or anything about any of that. So I was just like, Oh, okay. Like whatever, like maybe this breastfeeding thing is supposed to like, it hurts. And anyways, but I remember the doula saying that. And I, so I reached out to her and I was like, okay, I'm day four and I'm ready to like quit. Um, you, you gotta help me out here. And so, you know, uh, you helped my situation out tremendously, and and gave me more education about uh, the tongue tie, which we will uh, get into a little bit uh, further on. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I, in hindsight, I really should have heeded that advice and like really, um, you know, made the extra effort, made the extra investment at like day two when it was already like this does not feel
1: good. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and this is the thing. I mean, you know, as mothers, I tell them, like, just trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right, if something just doesn't seem right, you know, get help um and unfortunately it's hard it's hard for a lot of different situations not just feeding because there's so much information out there now and like you said a lot of the times things are just kind of touched upon but nobody actually educates you any further as to okay well yeah it's there but what should I do um and so yeah I I definitely think it's worthwhile to look into that
0: so having said that um you know what. You said like obviously looking out for like the toe curling and like the cringing, the um, really not looking forward to the feeding. So certainly those are signs that you should seek out um, help. But I'm wondering, what are some of the common reasons that there is pain? Like what what are some reasons the woman may be experiencing pain uh, that certainly she may not be aware is the issue?
1: Right. So first of all, I always go to basics first. Um, We just want to assess latch and position. So um, often women just have what we call a shallow latch. Uh, The baby doesn't have their mouth open wide enough. They're mainly on the nipple and not having uh, more of the breast tissue in their mouth. And one of the things I tell people is babies need to breastfeed, not nipple feed. So if they're just on your nipple with a small, tiny mouth, it's going to hurt because they're just on the nipple. And then what women notice is that the baby's constantly feeding, and they will because they don't actually get that much milk if they're just on the nipple. So um, that's the first thing we teach about is kind of how to optimize that latch. Um, things like Making sure the baby's lined up correctly. So, I see a lot of women when they're breastfeeding their baby, they have they use a nursing pillow and they lay their baby on their back. Uh, and the baby's trying to turn their neck while they're lying on their back. Um, and I try and make it kind of like, okay, well, think about when we drink if you were drinking and you were standing up straight, but you had to turn your neck over and try and drink, it would be very awkward. So, we want to roll baby in tummy to tummy with us. So, what I tell people is an any breastfeeding position make sure baby's tummy to tummy with you then they're lined up correctly and then the other thing i notice is that a lot of women tend to just kind of they aim their nipple to the baby's mouth which of course because you want the baby to breastfeed but the way they do that it ends up that most babies are latching with their noses into the breast and their chins down. Um, And then I see a lot of women going, oh, like they can't breathe. I better move my breast tissue out of the way. Um, Which, yeah, we're going to let them breathe that way. But I also tell people, so now imagine trying to drink with your chin down. You cannot swallow if your chin is down. So now babies can't drink properly. But the other thing is I tell people, put your chin down and try and open your mouth. You can't do that. So now the baby's got this tiny little mouth, and then they just end up latching on the nipple, and then it hurts. So Mm. if we kind of line baby's nose up to the nipple, they always will reach up, their chin will come up, their mouth will open wide, they can swallow well, and the nose is away from the breast. So it all kind of works out just from simple lining up tips. Um, so latching position is always the basics that we get to, uh, but other times, uh, and this is where a lot of people run into difficulty where everyone, they tell them, like I've had women say to me, like, everyone told me my latching position was great, but it still hurts. That's when I'm like, okay, it is time to put some gloves on and take a look inside that baby's mouth and assess their anatomy because everything can look great from the outside, but we can't see what that tongue is doing. And the tongue does everything when it comes to breastfeeding. So if there is a possible tongue tie or something going on with tongue function, it will still hurt. And so that's what I tell people. I'm like, you know, if... Please don't let anybody tell you that just because the latch looks great, that, you know, everything should be fine. And those are the cases where people hear, oh, just, you just need to toughen up and, you know, you just need to get through it. Uh, No, we need to assess what's going on. Uh, And so I tell people, you know, make sure somebody is putting on gloves and opening up that baby's mouth and assessing tongue function. Uh, But obviously you need to work with someone who knows how to do that. Exactly so let's uh so that's a really nice
0: uh segue over into um you know talking about you know tongue um and lip ties like um of, of course obviously when i was told i uh, it didn't fade like it didn't phase me at all like tongue tie like it was just a word that went in one ear and literally kind of out the other Uh, of course not having been given any education on that until of course you came but um but lots of moms i assume will not know what that is uh so maybe you can talk a little bit about what it is and how it um, impacts tongue function and therefore um can cause pain
1: Absolutely. So um, what we're looking at is um, it's a tongue tie is a restricted frenulum. So um, a lot of people have that little strip underneath their tongue. Um, that's called your frenulum. So what I tell people is it doesn't matter if the baby has a frenulum or not. Many people have frenulums, but sometimes when they're very tight, they restrict the function of a baby's tongue. That may be a possible tongue tie. So um, we can't just look in a baby's mouth and say, oh yeah, there's a frenulum there, they're tongue-tied. No, that doesn't mean they're tongue-tied. We need to assess the function. So um, when I put on gloves, part of the things I'm doing is um, I'm testing the baby's suck. So I'm testing whether the baby can actually cup uh, my finger properly and maintain a latch. Um, If I feel that the tongue is slipping, I'll often say to moms, like, does it feel like the baby's kind of biting you or chomping on your nipple? And they're like, yes. Um, And it's because I feel that tongue slipping and then you feel their gums. But when babies breastfeed, their tongue should come past the gum line and stay there. Um, So often associated with that, mothers will start to hear as the milk comes in, when babies are feeding, they'll hear kind of a clicking noise, like a noise like that. That's the tongue slipping. Um, And then babies tend to kind of pop on and off the breast a lot or they can't maintain a latch. Um, And so um, we're assessing for how that tongue actually cups, does it stay past the gum line? Um, I test whether, like if you pull a baby's lower lip down and stroke their tongue, their tongue should just come forward, it's a reflex. So I assess how far can that tongue really come forward? Um, How does the tongue lateralize? So those are all things I test for. And obviously, if that function is impaired at any point, and then I see a frenulum combined, that is often when I will then make a referral to either a doctor or a dentist who can actually um, diagnose for that. Because as lactation consultants, it's not in our scope to actually diagnose, but we can absolutely assess for it. And again, based on my experience, usually when I send them over, that's exactly what the situation is. So, um, So again, it has nothing to do with appearance. I mean, that's part of it, but it's mainly to do with the function.
0: Absolutely. And you were men- And you mentioned you're checking the tongue laterally. Um, I'm assuming you mean side to side.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, it's another reflex. If you rub a baby's gums, their tongue follows your finger. And so again, I'm seeing how well it can move from side to side. And, you know, is it just kind of the side of the tongue that moves, but the whole body of the tongue doesn't move? Um, I even show moms like oh look at when your baby's crying their tongue isn't really lifting up it almost looks like a bowl the sides of the tongue lift up but the middle stays tethered but when you cry your whole tongue should kind of lift up so um, and then they're like oh yeah Um, and obviously it's not anything you're going to notice until someone points it out to you and um, you know again of course if you're a first-time mother um, this term can be very new to people Um, and it's Interesting because it's something that, like, even when I have um, interns and stuff work with me, they're like, Oh my goodness, is all you ever see tongue ties? Um, And what I tell people is when people come to a breastfeeding clinic or see a lactation consultant, they're usually having breastfeeding difficulty. You don't go if breastfeeding's going well. So we see a very skewed population. So, uh, unfortunately, that is what I see a lot of because, like I said, people really only seek support when it's not going well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, now lip ties, do they, how, how does, how does a lip tie potentially impact breastfeeding?
1: So a lip tie can absolutely affect breastfeeding as well, because, um, what we tend to see, it's the same thing. It's a frenulum kind of, um, at the upper lip. And, uh, the way we kind of assess for that is, can we actually lift the upper lip up? can we actually lift it up to like the nostrils? And then um, are we meeting with a lot of restriction? So often I'll tell moms, like when we try and lift the lip up, it blanches very easily, it kind of goes white, it's very hard to lift the lip up. Um, When babies breastfeed, um, with having that wide open mouth, their lower lip should be kind of flanged out. Um, and then the upper lip should just kind of be neutral. So what we tend to see is babies tuck their upper lip in while they're feeding. So one of the red flags I tell moms to look out for is do you see like all these sucking blisters on babies' lips? and specifically on the upper lip. And a lot of times people are like, oh, I, I, to, I was told that was normal. Uh, and what I tell people is it's common, but it's not normal. Uh, we shouldn't be seeing that blister there. Uh, and so then that can actually affect the latch because then they keep tucking their lips in uh, to feed. And then that is not an effective way to draw milk out of the breast. So often those babies um they never get full feeds they tend to tire out of the breast but then they want to feed frequently uh and mums think well maybe it's something to do with my supply which absolutely it can be but often it's the way the baby's tongue or lips are functioning that aren't allowing them to get a, the proper amount of milk yeah
0: yeah um do uh, do I, I, I guess I kind of know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. Um, do all tongue and lip ties need to be treated? I guess, I mean, I'm assuming the answer is depends on the function. Yes. <laughs> but if you're seeing a tongue tie and it's limiting, you know, let's say a portion of the tongue function, like, do you, like, is it better to get it treated?
1: If it's, Uh, restricting the function, then I absolutely think it is worthwhile. Um, And what I tell people is, Now we're learning some of the long-term impacts of tongue and lip ties. Um, It affects the way that the baby's palate actually develops because their tongue doesn't sit at the roof of the mouth where it's supposed to. So palates end up forming high and arched rather than wide. So what I tell people is maybe it won't be a breastfeeding issue, but later on you may have issues with when when the child's teeth come in there's gonna be spacing issues. Um, So it's interesting because a lot of parents are realizing, oh my God, I have a tongue tie (laughs) because they've had all these issues uh, that they're now realizing are related to that. So palates can form high and arch, so then there's spacing issues when teeth come in, Uh, Because the palate starts forming high and arched, it starts going into the nasal cavity, which can actually affect breathing. So a lot of children start to become mouth breathers um, because they can't breathe effectively through their nose, which actually then affects sleep. So now we're seeing that a lot of babies and children uh, who wake frequently, it has nothing to do with behavioral issues. It has everything to do with that they cannot breathe properly when they're sleeping. Um and so uh that's why I often tell people like I think it is worthwhile to go for an assessment with what we call a preferred provider who actually knows all of this stuff and can talk to them about these long-term impacts. Because again, as an infant, it is so much easier to treat um rather than when a child gets older. Um and then obviously it's more involved. Um and I, I don't even know all of that because that's not something I deal with, but um if we catch it earlier and we're able to do this. Um, we can absolutely prevent a lot of these long-term impacts.
0: Yeah. I, I, I remember when I went to go, when we took my daughter in, um, I, we took her in day six. It's, that's mm-hmm. how quick uh, we, you know, the the doctor, I guess the, the well, the dentist had left, leaves spots open, um, uh, to, you know, to be able to squeeze people in really quickly, right? Because it can affect the breastfeeding experience. So day mm-hmm. six, we bring her in. And uh you know they do the assessment, and then they say, "Okay, yeah, this is a significant um you know tongue tie needs to be treated, but also that because the frenulum went right to the tip of her tongue, it would have um also created issues around speech yeah. um, and also would have pulled the um the teeth in like the teeth formation as you were mentioning, but for her it would have been on her bottom teeth versus her upper teeth. Um, so I mean the, the actual procedure itself was really fast and really straightforward. Um, there, there was some tongue exercises we needed to do. So as a physio, I was like, okay, I'm going to physio my daughter's tongue here and make her do, and make her do some exercises. Um, I mean, I was sore for a little while because I was already sore you know, it took a little bit of time, but as soon as we treated the tongue tie, it was it made a, the world of difference.
1: Yeah, for in, sure,
0: in breastfeeding.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like that's the thing. Like you said, speech can be impacted. Um, solids when they start solids, uh, because a lot of them even have trouble with um, drinking the milk and milk flow. So then imagine having a tongue that's restricted trying to pass boluses of food to the back of the throat. Um, And so then that can be an issue, too. So there's so many more issues than just a breastfeeding issue. And that's what I try and tell people, because especially, too, sometimes women are like, well, it hurts to breastfeed. I know they have a tongue tie, but I'll just bottle feed instead. Um, And I tell them, that's totally fine, but you're going to experience issues even with bottle feeding. So yes, it won't hurt you, uh, but your baby is still going to have a lot of difficulties. So um, this isn't just about mom. You know, often mothers even sometimes feel a little bit of guilt because they're like, oh, I don't want to go do this and and release my baby's tongue because they don't really understand what the procedure involves um, just for the sake of me because it's hurting me. Um, And that's why I try and explain that this is not just only affecting you, this is affecting baby as well. And really, uh, the frenulum is just extra skin under the tongue that actually shouldn't be there. So a lot of people do have frenulums, but we're actually not supposed to have a frenulum. There's not supposed to be any tissue under your tongue. Um, And so that's what I tell them. We're just releasing that excess skin. It's really, there's no nerve endings or anything like that there. So um, like you said, it's very simple.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I wasn't uh, in the room when they did it. Dad stayed in the room. But uh, when he came out, he said, Uh, she cried when they put like, you know how they, when you go to the dentist and they put that, like, uh, that freezing before they give you the needle, Mm -hmm. she cried over the freezing Mm -hmm. did not cry over the, cause the cut was just, it was just like, it was literally like, I don't know how long does it just take to close the scissors? Like that was the procedure. It was like, close the scissors. We're done
1: exactly like that's what i tell people it's like literally a 30 second procedure um i've had moms who say like i can't be in the room and they go to the bathroom and they come back and it's done so it's that quick yeah well they said if if you think if you suspect
0: even the slightest bit of upset watching this leave the room and i was like well i don't know if i am or i'm not going to be upset about this but i'll leave the room anyways right (laughs) yeah just just as a, a as a precaution
1: absolutely um
0: so we talked a little bit about uh some common tips like for women to ease breast pain like some of your basics which you were talking about like positioning um having the baby in line with the breast um not having them twisting their neck is there any other um common tip that you um
1: tend to give um, so, what uh, again, with in terms of baby's position, we talked about that, but there's also importance with mom's position. So, a lot of the times I see moms um, in a very uncomfortable position. <laughs> I'm like, Is that how you normally feed? And they're like, Yeah, my back and shoulders are really hurting because they tend to really lean and hunch forward. Um, and that actually contributes to a bad position because. Um, And I find, especially when women use nursing pillows, because the baby is way down low on your waist and your breasts are not anywhere close to that section. So a lot of women tend to lean forward. And one of the things that I tell women is like, we need to make sure you're comfortable also. So I have a lot of moms be more in a reclined, laid back position um, and bringing baby to the breast rather than breast to baby, uh, because then we actually utilize gravity. Because when you lean forward, gravity works against you, your baby is going to fall away. So even if you start with a deep latch, the baby is slowly going to fall away and you're going to get more of a shallow latch. And again, maybe it doesn't hurt to breastfeed, but you're like, my shoulders and my back and everything are hurting because that is not a good position to sit in. And again, when we're breastfeeding newborns, sometimes the feeds can take like 45 minutes. So uh, you don't want to be sitting like that eight times a day that's going to be really hard on your whole body so um, having your shoulders and back more supported by leaning back and then baby's more on top of you and now we let gravity help us to get a deeper latch Um, so that's one of the things i often have women do is try and just at least recline back because they all tend to sit forward Um, and so again when you're more relaxed and your body's more relaxed obviously breastfeeding is going to go better
0: absolutely um, any tips, I mean, there, I, I, I'm curious now about, you know, women who are concerned about low milk supply. Um, are there any particular tips that you are able to share with us? I know like someone will say, uh, there's like a specific tea thing is, is it milk
1: thistle? Uh, so there's fenugreek and blessed thistle, which okay. are- two herbs that can help with increasing milk supply. Yeah. Um, So, well, first of all, again, I get go back to like basics, we want to make sure that um, there's enough stimulation at the breast. So uh, what I tell people is, you know, all those herbs and teas, they can absolutely help. Bottom line, it's all about supply and demand. So the more demand there is at the breast, the more supply you're going to make. So some of the basic things are making sure that the baby's feeding at least eight times in 24 hours um, in those you know early days to make sure the breasts are being um, stimulated enough um, and um, not restricting the time at the breast. So unfortunately, that's still kind of told sometimes to people like, breastfeed the baby for 10 minutes per side, and then you're done. And then wait three hours for the next feed. Um, And so but what it really is, is like, we want to watch the baby, not the clock. Uh, We want to watch for that active sucking and you know, baby actually stimulating the breast. Uh, Some babies, yeah, they're 10 minutes, other babies are 20 minutes. So we don't really want to put a time on that. Um, always offering the second side because most newborns will take both breasts so that both breasts are being stimulated. Um, and then what I tell people is, yeah, we're feeding on demand. So three hours is kind of when they're newborns, uh, we don't want to go longer than three hours, but if they cue you before, absolutely you feed them. Um, when they're at the breast, we don't know how much they take. Um, and what I tell people is like they eat like we, so we don't always eat the same amount and the same meal. Sometimes we have a snack, sometimes we have a banana. An hour later, you're hungry again. It's exactly like a baby. So sometimes they just want a banana and then they want to eat an hour later. And other times they're gonna to go to the buffet and yeah. they're for a few hours, right? So um, when I use those kind of analogies, it really t- try. It, I try and just make it sense to people, and they're like, "Oh, right, yeah, sure." Uh, because unfortunately, we're so we're such a society which is so um, focused on scheduling and timing, and you know, babies do not work that way. And so, um, really, yeah, that's the biggest thing in order to ensure that we get a good supply. Now there are some women who do all of that and then they still have low milk supply for whatever reason and then yes, we can talk to them about different teas or um, herbal supplements that can help with increasing milk supply. Uh, There is also a medication that can be prescribed um, called Domperidon. Um, That is actually a reflux medication so when we use it for increasing milk supply, we're using it as as an off-label use. Um, so, but mothers have to speak to their doctor or midwife in order to get a prescription for that. But that's kind of the last resort. Um, but the first thing is if you're concerned about milk supply, see a lactation consultant, have them assess the latch, have them assess the feed.
0: Uh, I had this question asked of me, Mm -hmm. um, and certainly I'm not the expert on this. Uh, does exercising reduce milk supply?
1: Yeah, that's a common question Um, and no, it does not. Um, But what I tell people is there's a couple things where it can be related in a sense. So it's not directly that exercise reduces milk supply, but what I tend to find is number one, when people exercise, Even people who aren't breastfeeding, a lot of people do not hydrate enough. Um, So, you know, making sure you're drinking enough water, especially after a vigorous workout, um, before and after the workout, and then throughout the day. Uh, That's number one. But number two, um, a lot of the times when women are trying to exercise, they're doing it because, you know, they want to lose the the weight from the pregnancy. Um, So often that's combined with a little bit of restricting their calories. Uh, and it is important when you're breastfeeding um, for some women more than others to make sure that they're getting enough calories in their day, because that can affect the supply. Um, so it's indirectly related. So what I tell people is you can absolutely exercise again, obviously, um, starting off slow and, and, and making your way into it. And of course, seeing someone like yourself to make sure that everything's good with the pelvic floor before they start going running and all that stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but no. Just as long as they're still hydrating, they're you know getting making sure they're getting enough to eat. Um, absolutely, they can exercise.
0: Amazing. Thank you for clarifying yeah. uh, that because I know obviously that's a uh, a concern women might have. So let's chat a little bit about you know like what what can a woman expect from. You know, uh, a lactation consult assessment and like what are some typical treatment approaches um, you might take um, mm-hmm. just to kind of give ladies an, uh, some, some sort of baseline of like, what do, what should I expect on my first visit?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, first of all, when I see a woman, the first thing I do is I do take a bit of a history. Um, I find out a little bit more about her birth because um, often sometimes some of the birth interventions can play a role into what we're seeing. Um, So we'll ask questions about the birth. We'll ask questions about um, if mom's ever had any previous uh, breast surgery or procedures that may impact things, um, any medical concerns she's had during pregnancy or prior to um, pregnancy Um, and then uh, once we kind of get that full history um, for myself it does not every lactation consultant does this but I always bring a scale on my visits. so we're always gonna weigh the baby uh, because if I do do follow-up visits with you I am tracking baby's weight too I'm making sure that baby's gaining weight appropriately that's very important Uh, And then for myself, um, if moms, most moms usually um, are concerned a little bit somehow with their supply. Um, So I do do what's called um, weighted feed tests. So we weigh the baby before a feed and after a feed. Um, One of the things that I tell mothers is this is a picture in time. It doesn't mean this is what they always take. So it's a way to frame that, but it gives me an idea. Are we dealing with low supply or are we dealing with oversupply or, you know, kind of what's happening. Um, And then what I do is with every baby, No matter what, because I've just had so many experiences of tongue function being an issue, I assess every baby's tongue function, Um, whether mom is complaining about that or not. I just tell them that's part of my assessment. So I put on some gloves, um, you know, and again, usually I start with just playing with baby. I'm not just going to put my fingers in their mouth and and bug them. And then uh, it's very gentle. And then I will look under their tongue and under their lip and see if there's any issue. And then um, I'll have mom start by showing me how she's breastfeeding. So I always let her show me what she's doing first. And then I ask her, can we tweak a few things here? Um, And then we try and get her into a more comfortable position. Um, And then of course, answer any questions that she may have uh, along the way. Um, And then I always come up with some sort of feeding plan for mom at the end. So she'll get a plan with the baby's weight from the day. um, And then whatever we've discussed. So what I tell moms is like, you know, we talk a lot during the consult and I can see sometimes they're like, oh my God, this is a lot of information. And I tell them, don't worry, I'm going to write this all down for you. So you're going to have like a written plan as to what to do now. So um, yeah, so that's kind of the basics of an assessment.
0: Awesome. Uh, I had, I, I jotted a little point down because this this question just popped into my head because uh, you were talking about uh, history and, you know, breast and I'm thinking breast augmentation or breast implants, Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: does that impact breastfeeding? Yeah, so it can both breast reductions and breast augmentation. So uh, obviously, with a reduction, because they're removing breast tissue, um, that can be an issue. And then if they are cutting into certain ducts that may be affected with uh, breastfeeding, it certainly can be an issue. So we always want to know that Um, with augmentation, people sometimes don't understand how that might be an issue. And one of the questions I do ask moms, if they've told me that they had an augmentation is, what was your breast tissue like prior to the implants because a lot of women who get implants they really don't have much breast tissue at all um and that can impact it too because um you need to have some breast tissue in order to produce milk so for some women who really don't have any they can be those candidates who have low milk supply. Um, So yes, it is important to know that. And even if a mom has had a biopsy on her breast, you know, what was involved? How did they remove it? What did they do? uh, Because we want to know if there's anything that's been cut into in terms of ducts and stuff, which can affect supply.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Good point. I I just, it kind of just popped into my head and I'm like, I wonder if that is like a problem and, and, you know, obviously, I, you know, for, you're saying for some, so not every woman who has breast implants can't breastfeed. So we don't want to suggest mm-hmm. that getting breast implants will impact. It's just depends on the procedure, depends on what was there prior. Yep. Absolutely. Lots and lots of factors. Okay. Um, this has been really informative. Um I, I, I certainly know that I'm learning lots um is there any other pieces of you know advice or education that you find
1: you commonly give that we haven't sort of covered so i think really um again it comes back to like how even you know you and i were both kind of saying that you just think the baby instinctually knows what to do um which yes in a way they do but um the other key point i always give in my prenatal classes is Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's easy. So um, it's important to remember that because I think as mothers we feel a lot of guilt and we beat ourselves up and we think, My God, how can I not do something as simple as breastfeed? Um, and it's very common, it's very common to um have issues or need support. I mean, I wouldn't have a job otherwise. So um, so you know, I just think people should keep that in mind um and not feel like there's something wrong with them or something wrong with their baby if they're having difficulty breastfeeding um and I honestly wish I knew that before I had my babies because or at least my first because I again even when I took prenatal classes it was very much kind of under the assumption of oh the baby will just kind of come to the breast and here's the different positions and here's what we do and so there was never a but what do we do if the baby doesn't latch or why might the baby not latch Um, and things like that so
0: and obviously we've covered a couple of reasons why that might be. That isn't necessarily anybody's fault. It's just like, oh, this is just, you know, what's happened. Is that there is help and that if you are having trouble, you don't need to do this alone mm-hmm. Um, and seek out expert advice. Like that's, you know, if you want the road the quickest road is go to the expert who's, you know, gone through all the learning and the experience, you know, because figuring it out just takes a little, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could figure it out on your own. I, maybe, but that's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of pain and unnecessary, you know, trial and error.
1: It is. And that's the thing. And I mean, unfortunately, a lot of women don't even get to that point and they just give up. And that's where I say to people like, you know, just get the support before you give up because we can try to make things better and we can come up with solutions um and even if it's like yeah your baby has a tongue tie and you have to wait for that appointment you know we can come up with solutions in in between that time as to what do you do how do you get through this period um so we're here to help you and provide those resources so you don't have to rock your brain trying to figure it out so exactly yeah. So my final then
0: question is if there's a lady right now who is experiencing difficulty with breastfeeding um, and is looking for support, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they can go onto my website, which is happybabyhelp.com. Um, and so if they wanted to arrange uh, a home visit, which is what I do for a lot of people because they just don't want to leave their house in those early days, or they want to be like, I want to get positioning in my chair or on my couch. I do offer that. Um, I do also work in a private breastfeeding clinic at, um, the womb, which is the world of my baby in Milton. Um, so they can always look up, uh, the womb's website or call them for an appointment. With myself, Uh, and I do also work out of the Milton Hospital. But um, in that situation, they do um, need to have given birth either at Oakville or Milton or Georgetown in order to see me there. Uh, And those appointments, again, because it's a breastfeeding clinic in a hospital, are a little harder to come by. So um, if the wait time can be long, and again, as we've discussed with breastfeeding, it's very time sensitive and sometimes you need help sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah. And I got to say the home visit was just so helpful, you know, for me, like day four, I'm barely able to like move from, the, you know, from one room to the other and having you come and, you know, take the time to really go through things, um, you know, really helped me figure out how to manage my pain for the two days. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say two days for the, it took two days to get the appointment for the tongue tie. But I mean, I still had to breastfeed to get there and I was already at my wits end. Mm -hmm. Um, so you gave me those solutions, um, which allowed me to make it to day six. And then I knew what to do, um, after the tongue tie, even though there was some discomfort, I I had already had the solution. So um, I found it extremely valuable and helpful. And that's why I felt the need for us to share
1: this with the world. Yes, absolutely. Thank you.
0: And well, thank you for taking the time to share this. And I'm going to just let our listeners know that the links um, to your website and to the womb will get put. you know, put in the show notes. So it makes it really easy to click, click. Um, And so thank you again for coming on to the show and taking time out of your day. Thanks for having me. And thank you to our listeners. Of course, Uh, this is why we do it is to have you listening and hopefully sharing with others that you feel would really benefit from the episode. And of course we ask you to subscribe because every week we have somebody new and you never know what you're going to learn. So on that note, make sure to hit the subscribe button and we'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Thank you for listening to living a better life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again until
1: the next episode. Bye for now.